What's up, everybody? This is your girl Shannon from Can We Talk Sports. Okay, so I apologize for my hair a little echo in the background, but we're gonna get it together because our our one of our producers, Brian, decided he will take a vacation. He ain't going nowhere. You know what I'm saying, Brian? Yeah, I'm talking about you. I love you though. So anyway, um, this show. I'm Karen. Right. <laughs> I'm so excited about this show. Yes. Okay. So I'm here with my host, Karen. Kawashika. Karen. Kawashika. Okay, y'all. Look, I'm I'm a little tired. I've been dealing with a nine month old all day today. My grandchild, Lord help. Right. Like, man, forgot how it is to take care of a little one. So anyway. I want to jump right into the show um, because this is actually a great timing of the show. Yesterday we talked about health and wellness, um, mental health and wellness and fitness with Kawasaka. And so today we're going to have our guests come on um, in a second and we're going to talk about the NCAA um, recruiting camps and everything. And I think this is a great time. So I'm I need everybody to share this link. I need everybody to share this link. I don't know. Can you guys hear me? Yes. Okay. I'm clear. So I'm perfect. Um, this is important because a lot of athletes have missed out on their spring game. Um, no one knows when this is going to end. And so now we need to know how does it affect next year, upcoming season. So if we can get some information about that and how the athletes can prepare for camps, because right now spring camps will be going on, right? Mm-hmm. And then not only just spring camps, but um, we get ready going to summer camps mm-hmm. and no one can really plan a summer camp because no one knows what's going to happen. So our guest that's coming on is going to give us some information, some good information on um, the NCAA D1, D2, D3. And um, I think we need to jump right in. So can we bring Mr. Um, Rick Allen to the show? Hey, Mr. Welcome. Allen, you're on mute. Hey, how, I how are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you, ladies? Great. Great. Welcome to the show. Yes. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Karen, I know you and I have been trying to connect for a while, so uh, but this, this timing's pretty good. Yes. yes it is. Yes. yes. It is. So, uh, Mr. Allen, let's jump right in. Um, you are with Informed Athlete. So, can you tell us a little bit about um, Informed Athlete? Uh, yes, um, I founded Informed Athlete about a dozen years ago. Uh, our service, uh, our mission is to provide advice and information to college athletes and high school athletes and families hoping to play at the college level. Uh, we consult on NCAA rules, NAIA, junior college, and uh, we consult on uh, different topics academic eligibility, recruiting rules, uh, scholarships, and how they work in combination with academic or other scholarships, helping athletes transfer from one university to another, uh, waivers or appeals that might be possible for athletes in particular situations. Um, So that's our uh, business and, and that's the services we provide. Uh, I came into this uh, from being an NCAA compliance director uh, at two major NCAA Division I universities and, uh, and also 
am the parent of a former Division One athlete, a baseball player. So okay. have uh, been on the uh, parent side, seen some of the emotional things in addition to my professional uh, background with NCAA matters. Wow. Okay. So now I think this is, like you said, this is the perfect timing because of everything that's going on. Um, so my yes. question to you is this, how does this now affect athletes um, from high school to college? How does this now, this situation um, affect them? So let's start with the college athletes first, since that's the majority of the uh, of the uh, people that we talk to, the families and the athletes that we talk to. So at right now, at any college level, NCAA, Division One, Division Two, Division Three, NAIA, the junior colleges. Uh, they have all across the board said that for spring sport athletes, um, not for winter sports, but for spring sport athletes, um, every athlete gets an opportunity uh, to have another season of eligibility. So basically, wow, if they basically have, if they had already played in their season this year, if they had already participated in spring baseball games, softball games, track and field, tennis, what have you, they basically get this season of eligibility over again. Now, wow, that's not good. Every, now, not every university may give them that opportunity or they may have that opportunity, but they may not be able to have the same scholarship they had previously. But nationally, those organizations have given them all an opportunity at another year of eligibility. Okay, so that means if you were, um, so like for baseball right now, baseball would be starting. So it for college, right? Baseball would be starting around this time. So, so if you didn't, so if you didn't play, then they're giving you some colleges, not all. They're giving you that extra year. Is is so, that what it is? So so college baseball uh, has been going on. Actually, they had played uh, three or four weeks of their season when, okay. the spring, when the spring seasons were shut down. Okay. And so if an athlete uh, had appeared, uh, using baseball as the example, if an athlete had appeared in a game, they would have burned this season of eligibility. But now mm -hmm. they have the opportunity to get this season over again, so it won't count as one of their four seasons of eligibility. Gotcha. Uh, many universities are giving uh, even the seniors who were in their last year of eligibility. Um, the national organizations have given those athletes an opportunity to get this season over again. Now, whether they oh, can wow. use that at their same university or whether they're going to need to transfer and find another school that will give them that opportunity, that remains to be seen at each university. But nationally, these organizations have given them all another year. So if I take that a step further, thinking back, Shannon, to your question about the high school athlete, this is going to create a logjam on college rosters because especially at the four-year colleges, D1, D2, NAIA, you're going to have some seniors who are returning 
who otherwise would not have been on the roster next year, as well as current high school seniors coming in to join the roster, and many of them have already signed scholarship offers. So there's going to be potentially more athletes fighting for roster spots. You know what? I didn't even think of that. That's that. I'm glad you pointed that out. That's true because you got seniors that are coming in and then, I mean, um, seniors from high school coming in and then you have seniors leaving from college. But if they take that extra year, wow. Let me ask you this yeah. question. Now, when when those seniors who get that extra year and, and go to another school now, are they they're not going to block them from being able to play if they transfer because they're transformed due to this situation, will they? So, Karen, here's the situation on that, and it's going to vary a little bit depending upon the level of the university. For example, NCAA Division II has already come out with a statement that if an athlete is transferring from another organization or another level, so if they're transferring to Division II from a junior college, from an NAIA school, they are going to honor, if, if the athlete's previous school granted them another year of eligibility, NCAA Division II has said they're going to honor that. NCAA Division I so far hasn't said that. And so let me explain that a bit. That doesn't mean necessarily that Division I schools, if an athlete transfers to a Division I school, that doesn't necessarily mean that and a season of eligibility granted to them by another organization won't be honored by NCAA Division I. What it does mean is that Division I schools won't automatically be able to rubber stamp that additional season of eligibility. Those schools will have to submit a waiver to the NCAA national office and have that additional season approved. Wow. So there's a lot going to be happening when, when all this lift, um, getting things in order. So now can we talk about high school? Yes. Um, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of questions on, you know, am I going to be able to use my additional year at my same school? Am I going to have to transfer to use that additional year? If I return to my same school, am I going to have a scholarship? So there's going to be a lot of, a lot of, uh, questions out there and a lot of things that families are going to need to consider. So now when you let's, we're going to move to high school because what about those who at their, at the end of their springtime, you know, school's out. So schools basically are not going back um, from my understanding um, until August. Right. Well, my daughter's school said they were going to try to go back in May. That's if they, if we're able to, but if not, then technically school won't start to August. Well, what about those that missed that year, that spring year league, whether it's, it was, um, it was track, it was um, baseball, soccer, what happens with them in high school? So um, that's going to, going to, well, you mean as far as would their academic eligibility moving on to college? I guess, Shannon, exactly what do you mean by that question? Well, okay, so 
I guess, well, I guess the time doesn't start clicking until college then for the NCAA then. So the high school is not, they're not affected by it then as well. When I'm talking about recruiting. So let's say, for instance, in baseball, you know, if an uh, athlete was heavily, you know, being recruited and now he's not able to play his senior year or he's, or, you know, his junior year. But then now we have all this going on in college. How does that affect them? Because now you're saying uh, there's an opportunity where high school, I mean, um, the seniors going into college and then if the seniors out of college stay, it's going to be crazy. So how does that affect a highly recruited high school athlete? So, uh, so good question. Uh, so let's take a high school senior who has signed a national letter of intent and a scholarship agreement with an NCAA division one or division two school. As long as that athlete meets the NCAA eligibility requirements and they meet the admission requirements to be admitted to the university they signed with, if they enroll at that school this fall, that university is required to honor their scholarship and give and provide that scholarship. So they're so they're almost guaranteed an opportunity to get that scholarship. But you're going to have some situations where coaches are going to possibly encourage some of those athletes, hey, our roster is very full. We have a lot of guys returning that were not expected. Perhaps you should start off at junior college for a year. Perhaps you want to delay your enrollment for a year. Um, so, you know, you know, you know, fall sport athletes, the football players, the soccer athletes, this really doesn't impact them, but spring sport athletes, this is going to have a big impact. Wow. That's, that's kind of, kind of heartbreaking, you know, especially if you come off this top athlete in high school. And then if the coach asked you to consider going to a JUCO, it's like, how do you mentally transition? You know what I'm saying? So that's kind of right. wow. Would you have Kwasika? Did you have a question? Yes, ma'am. So is it possible for them to red shirt? I'm not familiar with the baseball. Do they do red shirt or soccer to spring? So, so a they college athlete, right? So you're asking about a current college athlete? Is well, that no, correct? No. Okay. Let me back up. So coming out of high school, Graduate, you got, you have a college um, D one or even uh, D two, right? And if the seniors come back from college, I mean, to college, that's leaving college, and they come back, and so you got the high school athletes coming up, can they just be red shirt instead of you know falling uh, back? Okay. Is what I'm trying to say. I got you. So yes, an income an incoming freshman this next year could certainly be redshirted in that uh, freshman mm -hmm. year and then still have their four seasons of right. eligibility right. available to them. Okay. So that so that definitely would be possible. But then it comes down to, you know, if you look at all of the different teams across the country, will their coach be agreeable to that? Wow. You know, the, the, what, what I hear a lot when I do consultations with athletes or families who have been a little bit unhappy or frustrated where they are, oftentimes I hear, and again, baseball or softball as the example, 
Yeah, I only got 10 at bats in my freshman year, but it's still, I still burned one of my four seasons of eligibility, you know, when I wish I would have been redshirted. Wow. You get some, you get some coaches who have the attitude, um, Hey, I can't invest a scholarship in you and have you redshirt and just sit on the bench all year. I invested a scholarship in you. I and I expect you to play. You may not get as many innings or as many opportunities or minutes as you hoped for, right. but you know I've invested a scholarship in you. I need you to give us some innings or some minutes, uh, so forth. Okay. So now your organization. Shannon, that question for me. That question. Um, I think that's the question, Koska. Was that the question you were asking about the red shirting? So a player, kid, could transfer in from another school red shirt and get an extra year. If both schools say we approve the extra year, this can give a player who's done two years to further develop and get that extra year, right? That's the question he's asking. So, so yes, uh, to Joseph's question, so... Um, again, I'm just going to use baseball or softball as the example. So let's say a baseball or softball player uh, got this spring as another season of eligibility. Uh, so, um, you know, they may have two seasons remaining now. Uh, they could transfer to another school. Uh, they could sit out this next year at another school and then use their two remaining seasons of eligibility. Uh, the other thing that's going to vary uh, in, in, you know, different circumstances, each individual situation is going to be kind of unique to them. Uh, for example, we need to keep in mind that NCAA Division One ladies, you may have heard of the term that Division One athletes have a five-year clock. They have a five-year window of time in which to use there are four seasons of eligibility. Well, back to uh, Joseph's question. If an athlete was already in their third year of eligibility, and let's say they got this year season of eligibility over again because of the coronavirus cancellation, maybe that athlete has three seasons of eligibility that they can use to compete in their sport but they may only have two years left in their five-year clock. So each athlete's situation, they're gonna have to you know, consider their unique situation. And, and that's the service that we provide and how we help athletes. We, in our consultation services, uh, you know, we speak with the families, the athletes, we get a full understanding of their timeline, how many seasons they've played. You know, let's talk about your options moving forward and how much eligibility you still have available. Okay, so now let's talk about camps. Um, how does that okay. work right now? Because right now we would be in spring camps. Um, the D1s would have been having their um, spring game. Um, they would have a lot of, uh, even with the football season in high school, they would be returning to spring camps, I mean, spring training and then so forth. So now how does all of that affect the upcoming season? Because they're not in 
training right now? Because usually so, football season starts when August is it August or September? August, late August, yes. late August. Yes. Yeah, practices usually practices often start, uh, you know, early mid August with uh, games starting late Labor Day weekend, or maybe in some instances the weekend before that. Right. So right. regarding recruiting, um, so first of all. NCAA Division One and Division Two right now they've imposed a uh, what we call a recruiting dead period for all sports. So that means no NCAA Division One or Division Two coaches can um, actively engage in uh, in-person recruiting. They can't have face-to-face -face visits with recruits. They can't go visit high schools. They can't even if there were spring games or spring practices, they would not be allowed to go observe those. And that recruiting dead period initially was imposed until April 15. It's now been extended through the end of May. Uh, so uh, that limits any recruiting activity to phone calls, emails, social media interaction, etc. And then in addition, uh, some universities and colleges are already starting to cancel some of their summer camps on their campuses. Uh, before we uh, got on this evening, I was looking on Twitter and saw probably in just a couple of minutes scrolling through, I saw five or six universities that have either canceled all of their summer camps or they or certain teams have canceled uh, summer camps for that particular sport at a university. So now how does your organization get involved with everything? What is it that if I, a parent comes to you about their athlete, um, what is it that you guys do and how do you help them, especially now through this process? How has that been? So Shannon, what we, um, what we, uh, specialize in is educating athletes and families on the college athletic rules and okay. the procedures for different things like explaining academic eligibility requirements, okay. explaining scholarship strategies and how athletic and academic scholarships interface or advising athletes on the steps and the rules they need to be aware of uh, if they're transferring from want to transfer or consider a transfer from one school to another. Uh, as far as uh, recruits or families of recruits, um, we do not act as a recruiting service, right. uh, but what we can do is um, advise athletes and families uh, just a bit as, you know, as I just did, uh, advising them on, hey, recruiting is now in a dead period. There isn't any face-to-face -face recruiting. So you're going to have to get more involved in emailing, sending video, being active on social media, uh, you know, being proactive, letting coaches know that you're interested in their program. Here's, here's my video or here's my website where you can see my video. So we're not a recruiting service, but we certainly try to provide advice and information to 
help them improve their recruitment opportunities, uh, steps they can take. Um, you know, I've even uh, helped, a, helped a few families with revising their recruiting letter that they send out, suggesting revisions to what they would say in their recruiting letter, things like that. Okay. Karen, you had a question? Um, wow. We're going to have a part two because you just have a wealth of knowledge that I think every parent <laughs> needs to know. Um, but my question is, has the well, NCAA... Karen, you know, you know Exchanged emails back and forth before on some of this information. <laughs> yes. So you have a uh, newsletter that comes out. Is that weekly, monthly that people can um, subscribe to and they can get all the information that you're publishing about the athlete? People can certainly uh, visit our website, informedathlete.com. They can sign up for our uh, weekly email newsletter. Uh, we send out newsletter on a weekly basis most of the time. And in fact, recently with the coronavirus issues, we've sent out uh, a couple of special edition newsletters to try to keep people updated with new developments and so forth. Uh, they also can, uh, sorry, I forgot to mute my phone behind me back there. Um, but they can also follow us. Uh, we have a Facebook page. Uh, we have a Twitter account uh, that folks can follow as well. So now your newsletter, what does what information do you guys give out on your newsletter? So in the newsletter, uh, we just try to provide, you know, updated information on, you know, whatever's happening in uh, college athletics, whether it's uh, NCAA and upcoming recruiting period, uh, or uh, reminding junior college athletes that when you transfer from junior college to an NCAA school, there's going to be certain academic requirements you're going to have to satisfy to be eligible for competition when you transfer from the junior college. Mm -hmm. uh, some junior colleges do a very good job of educating their athletes on those rules, and once in a while, we come across a junior college where they haven't done a real good job of educating those junior college athletes. And so, you know, we provide that information as well. Um, we even provide a, a, a transcript review service where we'll review uh, transcripts and advise uh, families, is their athlete on track to satisfy those academic transfer requirements? Okay. So um, Joseph's trying to find out um, if they're canceling their camps, how are they dealing with recruiting? Um, are they basing it on their performance from, you know, prior or how is that process working? Uh, it's a good question. Uh, one thing I don't have in my background and experience is I've, I've never been on the coaching side. So okay. I don't have that personal experience as a coach. Uh, but I just know from what I've seen on social media, you know, checking out Twitter on a daily basis, uh, athletes are posting some of their workouts. They're posting some yeah, of their videos. I've seen coaches that are encouraging athletes to send their videos to the coaching staffs. Um, you know, I mean, look at it from the coach's standpoint. They can't be out on the field coaching their current athletes right now. Right. So they want athletes to be sending in videos so they can evaluate those videos. 
Okay. So now I want to kind of move on to the educational side um, because the athletic side is great, but the educational side is very important. And um, recruiting educational wise, let me backtrack. So on the NCAA, there's certain class requirements, classes that you have to take to meet D1 and D2. Yes. And I know the GPA has changed recently. Am I correct? Because I, when my son was going, okay, I'm not going to date my age and how old he is now I'm playing, <laughs> but um, the GPA was different than it is now. There's been some changes. Can you tell us a little bit about the changes when it's coming from high school, trying to get into a D1 and D2 at least? So for NCAA Division One and Division II, uh, an athlete coming, uh, a high school athlete wanting to compete for NCAA Division One or Division II, uh, they need to uh, register with the NCAA Eligibility Center. It used to be referred to, and some people still refer to it as the NCAA Clearinghouse, yes. uh, but it's the NCAA Eligibility Center. And what the Eligibility Center does is they're going to evaluate an athlete's high school transcript by look, checking their courses, the courses they've taken, the GPA, the grades they've earned and their GPA and their ACT or SAT test scores. And then the eligibility center is going to classify that athlete as either a qualifier, um, an academic red shirt or a partial qualifier. Academic red shirt's a D1 term, partial qualifier is a D2 term or a non-qualifier. And then um, based on an athlete's status as a qualifier, partial qualifier, non-qualifier determines what they're eligible for uh, as a college freshman, whether they're eligible for uh, competition practice and financial aid, all three, whether they're only eligible for practice and financial aid, or they're not eligible for anything in their freshman year. So now from my understanding, it was mentioned that um, people, when my son was coming out, they were saying you get a full ride. And so people, parents were automatically thinking a full ride is an automatic four years. Well, from my understanding, and correct me if I'm right or wrong, but it's not considered a full ride. You have to go, you, they revisit it. They revisit it at the end of every year. Am I correct? So let's talk about scholarships for a bit. So okay. the only uh, sports where, um, the, where all or most athletes on the team get a full scholarship are Division I um, basketball, football, men's and women's basketball, football, volleyball, women's tennis, and women's gymnastics, if I'm remembering those correctly. Those are referred to by those of us in the business as headcount sports. Okay. If an athlete in those sports receives a scholarship, they're considered to be receiving a full scholarship. So it's referred to as a headcount sport. Every other NCAA sport is referred to as an equivalency sport. And so those teams can divide the value of a scholarship up between multiple players uh, on a team. Uh, using baseball as an example, they have 11.7 scholarships to divide between the various athletes on the team. And the majority of other NCAA sports operate in that same manner. 
Wow. Okay. So, wow. I'm kind of go ahead, Karen. Shannon, back to your question about you were asking about um, whether they uh, those scholarships are renewed each year or not. So in NCAA Division One, coaches are allowed if they choose to to give an athlete to offer an athlete a true multi-year scholarship that will cover all four or five years of uh, their college experience. Uh, many coaches don't offer a multi-year scholarship, but they're allowed to do that if they want to. NCAA Division II schools can only offer a scholarship one year at a time, and then at the end of that year, it's renewable or not renewed for the following year. Okay. Wow. Uh, I have a question. And one of sure. the things that it was an eye opener for me is when my son was a senior and he was about to sign his his letter of intent is to realize that that is a real contract, you know. And so it was just like, you know, once you sign it, you are just pretty much locked in and you have to go through this process of transferring. Can you kind of um, elaborate on how how parents should really um understand the importance of that letter uh, of intent, what that really represents and, you know, how it's not so easy to waver out of it once their kids sign it. Karen, I'm glad you asked that question. And before I answer your specific question, that reminds me of one thing I want to mention. So earlier I mentioned that the NCAA has imposed this recruiting dead period for all sports until May 31. However, they have opened up the opportunity that beginning April 15, they're going to open up again the opportunity for coaches to offer scholarships and national letters of intent to high school as well as junior college athletes. So those athletes will have an opportunity to receive a scholarship offer from a coaching staff and an opportunity to sign that. But until at least May 31, they're not going to be able to, unless they've done it already previously, they're not going to be able to go visit a campus, tour the facilities, meet face-to-face -face with those coaches, get a feel for, you know, do I have a good fit with that coach? Uh, you know, does this seem like somebody who's truly interested in me as a valuable recruit for the team? I think that's going to possibly make recruiting even more difficult because there's not going to be able to be this face-to-face -face interaction where you can, you know, try to use your gut instinct to determine, is this a good fit? Is this coach, you know, do, do, are we on the same page? Will we get along well together? So, all right. So Karen regarding, so the national letter of intent is that, and it's, Many people think the National Letter of Intent is the actual scholarship agreement. The National Letter of Intent is actually a separate document from an athletic scholarship agreement. But the National Letter of Intent is like a contract with that school that the athlete signs with for one year. Basically, the National Letter of Intent says, in exchange for you, the university, providing me a scholarship, 
I commit that I will attend your university for at least one full academic year and give it a shot to see how things work at your university. I'm committed to your school for one full year. If an athlete signs the national letter of intent, let's say they, they enroll at an NCAA Division I, Division II school this fall. After the fall, they're not happy for whatever reason. They're still committed to attend that school through the end of the academic year. If that athlete transfers elsewhere or doesn't finish out the year, and if the school does not release them from that national letter of intent commitment for one year, that athlete's going to be in jeopardy of having uh, eligibility, eligibility penalties imposed on them at their new school. So that's the, that's the, when you say the national letter of intent is like a contract, that's basically correct. That's the way that works, but it is a separate agreement from the, uh, from an athletic uh, scholarship agreement uh, offered by a school. And so if I take that a step further, when an athlete transfers from one school to another, that athlete has an opportunity to be offered a scholarship by another school, but they're not going to sign a national letter of intent. National letter of intent is only valid for athletes coming out of high school or coming from a junior college. Okay, so I have a question that we're going to ask us. Um, Mr. Scott King's question. So what about when sure. they, when they in high school, they verbally um, make the agreement um, and then I've seen them turn around whether something happened with the college or, and then they uncom they, they commit and then they uncommit. How does that process work? Because I've seen that a lot lately. Uh, now, are you referring to from the athlete standpoint? Are you referring to the athlete decommitting from the school? Yes. Decommitting. Yes. From the okay. coming so, from high school, going to college. Yes. Sure. So if that athlete has already signed a national letter of intent, um, and then they decide for whatever reason that they want to decommit, they don't want to go to that school, then uh, I guess you could say it this way, then the ball is in the school's court and in the, and in the coach's co court. If that athlete has already signed a national letter of intent with that school, the coach could say, no, you signed with us. We, we were planning to build our team around you. We expect you to come here and honor your commitment. If you go somewhere else, we're not going to release you from this national letter of intent. Oh, wow. However, however, many coaches will release that athlete from the national letter of intent because they know if they don't release the athlete, it could potentially harm them in their recruiting activities later on down the line. Okay. You know, it, it's all about perception. You know, if a, if a coach takes a hard line and won't, allow an athlete out of their agreement, then there will be uh, other coaches who may use that against that coach, you know, and they're going to say, 
hey, you know, if anything goes wrong over there, they're not going to let you out of your commitment if you sign with them. You know, yeah. negative negative recruiting. We hear a lot about negative recruiting and how yeah. some coaches will use something like that against other coaches. Okay. So Scott want to know um, about the Ivy League not giving a five-year in spite of the coronavirus. Um, he was wondering, will they allow it now due to this situation? Uh, if I remember correctly, they have come out, Ivy League has come out and said they're not going to change their position, which wow. is which is in the Ivy League, uh, for those who may not know, um, once an athlete earns their uh, undergraduate degree from an Ivy League school, once they once they graduate with their bachelor's degree, you cannot you cannot be eligible anymore at an Ivy League school. Even at, let let's take an example of a very high achieve, high academic achieving athlete. Mm -hmm. If that athlete could graduate from an Ivy League school in three years, with two years left on that five year clock, they're going to have to transfer to use those last two years. The Ivy League won't uh, uh, won't change that, from what I've heard. So he wants to know how many other conference um, besides Ivy League won't allow the five-year. He knows Army, Navy, Air Force won't, but how many others are like that? Uh, I am not sure uh, how many how many others are like are like that. That's a good question, but i I don't know I don't know the answer to that. Okay, so this is um, wow, this is good because now parents, you guys have something to think about. It's time to get, it's time to research. It's time to ask questions um, because now things have changed. Clocks are ticking and um, we need to, we need to start doing some research and we need to put some links on to, for the parents to go to, to find out about the NCA and the changes, even down to your um, website and subscribe to your newsletter to find out about changes. Now, um, grades, not grades, classes, for D1, what is the GPA requirement in the SAT and this and the um, ACT? Do you so, know? so without so without going into great detail here because I don't have have it right accessible in front of me. For NCAA Division One and Division Two eligibility, uh, they utilize what we commonly refer to as a sliding scale. Uh, to determine eligibility. So, well, first of all, athletes have to um, have to complete 16 core courses. And those core courses are your typical college prep type courses, English, math, science, history, um, uh, government, uh, so forth. So uh, an athlete to become a qualifier coming out of high school has to complete 16 core courses. And then NCA Eligibility Center looks at a sliding scale. And basically what that means is that an, auth an athlete, excuse me, can uh, offset um, a high test score, can offset a low GPA, or on the reverse, a higher GPA can offset a low test score. And they, they set it that way so that the type of athlete who has a photographic memory, 
uh, and they, you know, they don't necessarily study well, but they test really well. If they if they get a, a high ACT or SAT score, they can be eligible even though their GPA may be lower. You know, conversely, if an athlete uh, studies really hard, earns good grades, but they're the type that maybe freezes up uh, on an ACT or SAT test, that athlete can become academically eligible with a higher GPA offsetting a lower ACT or SAT test score. Okay. Well, look, this was great information. Go ahead, Karen. Uh, <laughs> you know, I when my son was the um, senior, and uh, I really looked at that eligibility center and, you know, was tracking it down as far as his uh, GPA and his transcript, making sure it all posted. And so before he graduated, it showed that he was eligible for a D1 and a D2 school. Um, but it's something about until that college actually inquires about them, they actually don't, I don't think they even make it where you're eligible until, until a school actually inquire, inquires about you. So anyway, um, I was always focused on D1 and, you know, making sure he, you know, qualified for D1. I really wasn't even focusing on D2. And so a D2 school, he didn't get a scholarship for D1, for, but a D2 school, um, uh, he got a scholarship. And so we had to re-scramble and try to get re-qualified for a D2 because <laughs> we were focusing on a D1. And so, I, you know, I just, you know, to, my thoughts is just going out to the parents. You know, if you have kids in sports, make sure they qualify for both. Because even though you may have your heart set on a D1, it may not happen that way. You know, my son said, Mom, I want to go to a school where the coach wants me versus going to a college just because it's a famous college. And so that was a lesson to me, you know, to share to other parents. Make sure your kids are eligible for both D1, D2, D3, JUCO, all, all of them, because you just never know where that scholarship is coming going to come from and then it is about the right fit you know our kids get so caught up in the hype and I enjoy it too I enjoy going to those Colorado games and I went to a Michigan game I enjoy the atmosphere but you know you you have to be really 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 elite player to go there but then you go and you're standing in line behind so many other players and so some kids want to go where they can play right away so i just encourage parents to when you're thinking about the colleges you know don't get caught up in the hype so much you know go where you're going to be celebrated where you can play and get the opportunity to play. So I just wanted to share that story to, to the parents while we have Rick on. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's good, Karen. I hear that. Uh, I hear that a lot and, and advise families of that a lot that, you know, the athletes are often happier where they're able to get on the court and play even if it's a lower level, rather than being, you know, being a backup. Uh, but on the other hand, 
some athletes are thrilled to be a backup at a large university and be able to have the thrill of running out of the tunnel onto the field or the court in front of a large crowd. And, uh, and by the way, hopefully we can get back to doing that soon. <laughs> yes, yes, we can. Hopefully we can. And I can relate to Karen with my son um, going to school. He was off by one class. So he had all the requirements, but for some reason we went back to check to make sure everything was matching. And there was one class that he was off. Now he could, he would graduate from high school, but he would miss the um, opportunity to play for a D1. So we went back, we fixed that class, took him out of it, put him in the class that he needed and he ended up going to OU. So parents, you have to go back, check the classes because in high school, there's a certain requirement just to graduate. Okay. So for a D1, for the NCAA, you've got to make sure that they are matching, like she said, the requirements for D1, D2, and on down. Because, like I said, he would have graduated from high school, but he would have missed his opportunity playing for D1 because he was off by one class. He was in a class he shouldn't have been in. And so we fixed it. He got in the class that that OU required, and he was able to play. But um, this has really been informational. You know, do your research, parents. Um, Mr. Allen, how can they get in contact with you to um, help them out with the, not, it's not the recruiting, but to help them out informational wise, as far as educational wise, and being able to go to a D1 or a D2? A uh, number of ways uh, folks can contact us. Uh, our website, informedathlete.com. They can submit uh, questions through the website. They can contact us uh, directly. Uh, my email is rick at informedathlete.com. Our phone number is 913-766-1235. They can also message us through our Facebook page and uh, we have a Twitter account. So many ways that folks can contact us. And uh, we'd be glad to uh, help them out. Uh, they can subscribe to our uh, newsletter. Um, we just want to let people know about our services. Uh, we, I should add, we also have blogs on the website that people can scroll through past uh, newsletter items that we've posted on the website in our blog section that people can scroll through there as well. Okay. okay. We got another question, Shannon. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Um, oh, Mr. Joseph want to know, are they considering going away from the SAT requirement? Uh, that's a question that's a little outside of my, uh, outside of my uh, area. Uh, that sounds more like admission requirements for admission to universities. Um, I can't speak to that question. Uh, but certainly the ACT and the SAT are both uh, used for NCAA uh, eligibility uh, purposes. And, and I might add uh, just one last thing on the eligibility center, the academic requirements. And first of all, I want to say many high schools, the majority of high schools, I think, do a good job of educating the uh, athletes and the families on those academic requirements. However, once in a while, we get a call or an email from parents who uh, they weren't educated well about the academic eligibility requirements. Yeah. And sometimes what I believe happens 
is at certain high schools, I think the guidance counselors think it's the coach's responsibility to educate the athletes. And in the reverse, I think sometimes the coaches think it's the guidance counselor's responsibility to educate the athletes. So the athletes and the family sometimes fall through the cracks. And so, again, that's um, service we can provide is educating them on those requirements. I, I do believe I mentioned earlier, we have a transcript review service. We actually review the transcript, give you a written report back on, you know, is your athlete on pace to meet these requirements? Are they going to need a couple extra courses, et cetera? And now one thing, court, they cannot take online courses. Is that correct? Uh, they can take online courses okay. as long as that online school has NCAA, NCAA approved courses. Okay. And in fact, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. You know, with this coronavirus, COVID-19 situation, many schools are have are not teaching classes, in-person classes. They've switched to online courses and so forth. Uh, and so for NCAA eligibility, uh, the eligibility center is at this point, they're simply encouraging athletes and families, complete your coursework if it's being offered online. Complete it the same way you would if you were still physically in class. Mm -hmm. If there are rare situations where maybe an athlete didn't pass the course because they didn't have a good internet connection to submit their assignments, right. you know, I'm sure the NCAA, because of this unique situation, is going to allow some waivers. Uh, for those types of situations. But as of now, certainly just encouraging all athletes and families, you know, complete your coursework, do what you need to if you're being taught online. Um, you know, there might be an opportunity to take an, an online course this summer, possibly to make up any discrepancies. Okay. All right. Well, listen, guys, you heard it right here with Mr. Rick Allen with informed athletes look get the information follow him subscribe ask questions that's what we're big about on the show ask questions if you don't ask questions you will never know if you don't um, research you'll never know so listen this has been great thank you mr allen for being on the show um, we will be back here sunday talking about mental health um, with the athletes. There's a lot of things that's changing even in the professional world. So we're going to kind of talk about it, but um, ask questions. I think that's, that's kind of what I got to leave you with. Ask questions, find out. Don't just sit there and assume, but get up and ask, make a call, send out an email, find out for your athlete what you need to do next, because this is a different situation. And so don't get left behind, not asking. Don't, don't have your child miss out on something because you didn't ask the right questions. So this is your girl, Shannon, at Can We Talk Sports. I'm, I'm with, with my, my host. Kawashika. And I'm Karen. And Mr. Rick, I want to give you an open invitation. You're welcome to come to this platform anytime. So so our parents can be able to reach you and ask you all kinds of questions. I just want to give you an open invitation.
Yes, yes. And we're going to share the link on our um, Facebook, all our different social media platforms. So we will see you guys Sunday at nine o'clock. Well, thank Have a you very great much weekend. for the opportunity, ladies. You're welcome. Yeah. Have a great weekend. Bye. Thank you. Good night. Good night.